0: And if you're hungry, you do what? If you're hungry, you feed yourself. And Matthew 5, 6 says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness for they will be satisfied. That satisfaction to be filled, right? Not just a little bit, but to be filled up to the full. I want you to go ahead and, and turn with me back to the book of Numbers. Some of you are nervous because I said the book of Numbers, aren't you? If you've ever sat and read the Bible, oftentimes you're like, you know, there's, there's certain areas that are sleep aid, so it feels, and then there's areas that are really inspiring. I believe all the Word of God is inspired. It's just reading what the Holy Spirit is speaking uh, at the time. He that hears what the Spirit speaks, right? Uh, let him hear. And so uh, I believe that the Lord is going to speak to us Uh, through this passage this morning, if you will, if I can find my place. If you'll go to uh, Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to read this, and we're just going to talk for a few minutes about um, what we've already covered in the scripture, about the justification, if you will, the righteousness that Christ brought to us. So uh, follow along with me, starting at verse 1, and then I will skip to verse 25. So verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send me uh, to send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the people of Israel. from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness Paran, uh according to the command of the Lord, all of them uh, all of them, men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now jump over to verse 25, so we know they're going out to spy the land. This is the point when they return. So verse 25, it says, at the end of the 40 days, so they were out there for 40 days. Who else went out in the wilderness to spy out in the land? Jesus, of course, you know, went in for 40 days. Uh, Moses, we know, for 40 days. And here's this same pattern that comes. For 40 days, they're going to spy out the land. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So what they did is they got some of the fruit. They were bringing it back to show them how fruitful the land was, that God had said that he was going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey was the promise of God to them. Verse 27, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of uh, Anak there. Uh, the Amalekites dwell in the land of uh, Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Mosquito Bites, that's not in there. Uh, the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea uh, and along the Jordan. Listen to this. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. They're giants. And there we saw uh, Nephilim, the sons of Anek, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves, say ourselves, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Verse 1 of 14, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept. That night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, "Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that uh, we had died in the wilderness, in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fail by sword, to fall by sword, excuse me, to fall by sword, Or uh, our wives, our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, um, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They, they, They ripped their clothes in the midst of this situation and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. Underline that in your Bible. For they are bread for us. Some translations say they are food for us. I submit to you again, they that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. They were given a promise back then, the same as we are given a promise in Christ. They were given a promise to enter into a land that flowed with milk and honey. So are we given a promise through Christ that all the promises of God are yes and amen. If we will only believe, listen, as it goes on, they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with with the pestilence, and uh, disinherit them and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they what was it that caused the Lord to look upon the children of Israel in that moment and say I don't want to be your God anymore I'm going to strike you I'm going to disinherit say disinherit now in Christ we have an inheritance don't we in God in the promise of God to the children of Israel they had an inheritance He said, I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey, right? And you're going to enter into that land, and you're going to possess that land. Is that what he declared to them? Say amen. Amen. He declared that to them. They arrive at the land, and when they get to the land and they send the spies in, they come back with the report. Two come back with a report that says, it's flowing with milk and honey. Exactly what the Lord said is exactly what's going on in that land. And God said he's going to give it to us so we can possess it. Ten of them said, there's no way, man. It's too hard. This is an impossible situation. And I want to show you because the ten, they didn't get to go and enter in. Joshua and Caleb are tearing their clothes because they know that their destiny is tied to these suckers right here, man. <laughs> you know, They're like, I want to go over there. I don't want to hang out in the wilderness. I want to go where those grapes are so big. They They went to a... A a vine, by the way, you can go and read more of this story, but they clip just one cluster of grapes and they have to tie it to a rail and two of them have to carry it. It's so big. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a cluster of grapes that big. You understand what I'm saying? Where I had to have two guys and it's on one pole, you know? But they're coming back with that promise, showing forth that the, the promise of God was truly what he said it was. And what it was left to was, could they believe that what God said and promised to them was possible for them? The answer is, most of them couldn't. Two of them could. And do you know what's interesting? The very ones that they declared, the the mothers, and if you will, the children, would be a prey. Do you know that those under 20 were the ones that were allowed to enter in with Joshua and Caleb when the moment came? They wouldn't wandered through the wilderness and destruction came upon them. You know, the very thing they feared going into the promised land really came upon them in the wilderness. Now, what does that have to do with being hungry and feeding yourself? Caleb declared that they were bread for them. I would say any situation, any circumstance that you face right now in this life is bread for you. Your giants are bread for your life. God uses the impossible situations in your life to show forth His greatness in your life. God uses the impossible situations in our life to show forth His power and His glory in our life. They could not go into the promised land and possess that on their own. We do know if you read on and you'll find out about Joshua, when he finally does get. go to the book of Joshua, not right now, but this week sometime, and read this story, and you'll find that Joshua, right, God says, be courageous. Go in and possess the land. And he gets up and goes with all those that had been children, twenty below twenty years old and below, had grown up, and now they were the ones that were going to go in and possess the land with Joshua. Be very courageous, and so they go. I want to ask you, did they go shove the walls of Jericho down? Did they defeat Jericho? Or did God defeat Jericho? If you remember, what did he what did Joshua declare to him? He declared one thing to them Sanctify yourselves, for the morrow we cross over. They had one responsibility to set themselves apart. The amazing thing in Christ, one of the uh, things that we learn through the work of Christ is, if you remember those four things, is that in his uh, sacrifice, he preserves us. In his sacrifice, he sanctifies us. He sets us apart for his work. He purifies us and he gives us access we will allow his work to work in our life. Believe and trust in what he's saying. And put corresponding action. Move to what he's saying. Act upon what he's saying. The children of Israel in unbelief could not act upon what he was saying. Go to, um, go to uh, Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to show you. They were, in fa- they were facing in themselves an impossible situation. Impossible. They say that, you know, be it, maybe you're facing an, an impossible financial situation in your life. Maybe, maybe you're facing an impossible marital situation in your life. Your marriage. It's an impossible situation. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're facing an impossible situation with your kids. Maybe you're facing an impossible situation with your parents. Maybe you feel like the call of God on your life, the things that he's put in your heart to do for him is impossible. But they're not. Listen to this. Verse 26 of chapter 19. This is after the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus sorrowful when Jesus gives him the, um, the, the acts that he needed to, to do. In other words, he had done, kept all the law from his childhood up. And then Jesus said, you lack one thing, go sell everything you have, come follow me. Everything? I'm rich, dude. You know, I'm not going to part with my richness. And he went away sorrowful. He says, you know, it's near impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And the disciples go, well, who could enter in if that's the case? Now, this is verse 26. Here's how Jesus responds to it. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. To the children of Israel standing on this side of the Jordan, looking into Canaan, the promised land, the impossibility was the giants, was the fact that they had fortified cities, it was all the circumstance that they could not overcome. But yet God was for them, so who in the world could be against them? And so often we fail to allow... God to be for us we look to our own strength we look to our own capability and what happens is is we're gripped with fear and unbelief about the things in our life that challenge us our circumstance our impossible situations if you will and it takes one thing it takes that coming into a place of believing that what God did through his son on the cross and we just took communion last week. And when we took communion last week, what were we declaring? That his body was broken for us. Is that right? His blood was what? Shed for us. Do we believe that when we recognize the work of Christ, that through him all the promises of God are yes and amen? Or do we believe that some of them are yes and amen? It's like, well, this one, yes, but I don't think God could do this in my life. And, I, you know, I don't think I could ever have a great marriage. I don't think I could ever have great relationships. I don't think I could ever have a great job, something I really like doing. How many of you hate your job? It's okay. How many of you hate your job? All right, here's the deal. Start praying that God will open a door to give you something that you love doing. I had somebody ask me this question. They said, uh, Pastor, I really don't see you do a lot of hobbies. I said, well, I enjoy riding my motorcycle some. I enjoy riding my motorcycle some. You know, that's, that's a joy for me. You know, yeah, I know, but I mean, it's like you're doing church stuff a lot. Seems like all the time. Yeah, that's probably true. A lot of times I am, you're right. I said, but here's the deal. Somebody told me once that if you do something, you, something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Now, not everything I do in ministry I love, just so you all know. Right? There's a lot of stuff that I have to do that's not teaching God's word. I love teaching God's word. I love to pray for people. I love to see people saved. I love to see all those things. I don't like dealing with all the junk that comes with it, but that's part of pastoring. I was talking to Pastor Rob one day. We we're talking about some of the challenges that come with pastoring, and I said, "Well, the fun part about tending the sheep is is feeding them. It's so fun. okay, here, here sheep, sheep, you know, feed. You know, it's so cool to watch them, especially the little lambs. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever?" you know, been around livestock, you know, and it's really, it's just like there's so, there's just a gentleness there, right? I think that's part of why the Lord used that terminology when he, when he, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says, you know, or or Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. He goes, "Uh, then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Right? Peter's saying, phileo, phileo, and then finally gets to agape. And then Jesus throws in that one, tend my lambs. And so he, he incorporates that. But there's something about when we see that, the nature of sheep and, and how fun it is. But I was talking to Pastor Rob and I, you know, because, where is he in here? Where's he at? Is he over here? Okay, I was talking to Pastor Rob. You know, he's 20 years old. This is his first time pastoring. He's served in ministry a lot, right? He's like, man, sometimes, I mean, do you ever feel like, gosh, there's just a lot? I'm like, yeah. I said, feeding them is fun. It's when you feed them, though, something comes out the back, and then you got to shovel that stuff out, you know what I'm saying? And he went, oh, that's true. (laughs) You know, and we all have that as sheep. You want to know something? One of the worst things about what comes out the back, it stinks. Let me tell you the worst moo-moo, the stuff I hate shoveling, right? I'm not going to get gross on you, unless I already have. (laughs) But it's, it's when you're shoveling that stuff, and it's like, oh, look, that looks like unbelief. It stinks to high heaven, man. Unbelief. That you can receive from the Word of God, and what comes, that you're in the Word of God, but then the other side of the Word of God for you is, is I still can't believe what He has to say. His children can be that way. This uh, example in the Old Testament here of Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the children of Israel. I want you to go back there again, look a little bit deeper into this. That they heard the Lord speak, and so did Joshua and Caleb heard them speak, that God had spoken, that he was giving them a land that flowed with milk and honey. They all heard that word. Some disbelieved it, and some believed it. All the children of Israel knew the word of the Lord. He's bringing them to Canaan. By the way, that promise did not originate with Moses. That promise originated with Abraham, the father of our faith, see. The father of what? The father of faith. See, even Abraham, when he climbs up the mountain and lays the promised son on the altar to sacrifice him because God asked for for, uh, Isaac, Abraham lays him on the altar, and what that was was God was asking Abraham for what God was promising to the world. When Abraham goes up that mountain and lays him down, he knew that because it was the promise of God, God was able to raise him back up. And without, for Abraham, without really understanding all about the Christ, Abraham was exhibiting exactly, exactly what God was going to do for mankind. And that's why God called him his friend. That's why God spoke and revealed things to him and showed him things that God himself was going to do. And he promised him a land that flowed with milk and honey. Honey. And Abraham himself, he didn't believe for himself. He believed for the future generations. How do I know that? Because right where uh, God promises that to Abraham, you work on down through that and you'll find that it says, it, God says to him, you won't enter in, but the fourth generation will. Now how do you like those kind of promises? That you're living for God for a generation that's four four generations away from you. Can we have the same kind of faithfulness that Abraham had? It wasn't like God didn't bless Abraham. God blessed Abraham tremendously on his way. But it was the fourth generation now standing on this side of Canaan and can enter in. But they didn't enter in because of unbelief. Um, go to, go to Luke 11. Caleb declared that they're bread for us. He saw his circumstance, those giants, as God's way of growing him, of growing them as a people. Luke 11. See, when you feed upon the word of God, you are eating the breakfast of champions. Luke 11, I'm trying to find it myself, man. 11.3. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And you won't be able to turn to all these because they're on my notes and it's for so that we can be brief. But Matthew 4.4 4 says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. John 4.32-34 says, but he said to them, this is Jesus declaring to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When you understand that Jesus, everything he did, right, he walked out. Did he suffer temptation the same as all of us? Yes, he did. But Jesus walked everything out that he did because he fed upon the father. He spent time with the Father. He's the one that's declaring, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And by the way, I am the living word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father is what he's saying. But in my human form, I too spend my time with the Father. I too seek the Father. I spend that time feeding upon him so that I'm satisfied. See, I'm tempted just like every one of you. Is what Jesus would, in common terms, I'm tempted like all you are tempted, but the difference between you and I is I choose to put my flesh under, I put my flesh under, and I consume the heavenly flesh. I take of the heavenly bread so that I don't give way to the lust of the flesh. Does the Bible say that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered? Yes, it does. Well, Jesus didn't have to learn obedience because he was God and he just did it all right. Nope, he learned obedience, the Bible said. We follow his footsteps. We learn obedience. And by the way, when the children of Israel are standing on this side of of Canaan, if they had walked in obedience, they would have possessed the promises of God. Jesus walking in that human form. Yes, he's all God, but he's all man. And for that to connect, by the way, you're all man, but God lives on the inside of you when you're born again. You are the just of the Lord, and the just shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. And if the just live by faith, then faith is the walk that we have to move in. And if we don't move in the walk of faith, then we don't see the promises of God being manifested in our life. A nation that was established, by the way, America. The greatest revivals that ever came, came in the Great Depression. And out of the Great Depression... Right. The the initial stages of this nation being founded, there was phenomenal moves of God. And then you see when a nation comes back to its knees, all of a sudden revival springs forth and phenomenal moves of God again. And out of that comes what? Prosperity. In other words, the people uh, began to look to God as their source, not themselves. They stopped looking at circumstance. Here's all the circumstance that you could possibly have be as bad as it is. And what did they do? They started to look to God as the answer, not to themselves any longer. I was talking to somebody this week, and we were talking about the fact that will America have to come all the way back down to that point for God to raise us up again? To raise us up again how? In prosperity? No, I'm not even talking about the economic prosperity of our nation. I'm talking about the spiritual prosperity that this nation has had uh, time after time after time, that this nation sent more missionaries around the world than any other nation in the world. And why is that? Because we were a nation that sought after God. When the early founders came here, it wasn't like it was an easy road, was it? It's pretty hard. When you think about the guys who got off the ship and they're walking in here, they knew something of the Bible. By the way, you knew that you do know that Columbus, right? sailed the ocean when everybody thought it was flat he knew it was round and the way he knew it was round is because the Bible declares it's circumference but when they got here they're all off the ship and they come ashore and as they come ashore he left a couple guys back there anybody know what they did they torched the ships man can you imagine being those guys standing on shore going ho oh, ho There's only one way to go now, you know. They sure wasn't going to swim across the ocean, was they? It would have taken more faith for them to swim back than it was to stay there and possess the land. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, he learned something from reading about the children of Israel that, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to erase the wilderness and Egypt for them, and they've only got one thing, Canaan or bust, man. You know what I'm saying? Canaan or bust. God declares his promises over your life. Can you possess them? Yes, you can. You can possess them through faith. Oh, pastor's getting into the name it, claim it, frame it. Mm -hmm. In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. Am I saying that your life will be easy? You know, if you start to do this, that your life is going to be easy and you won't face difficulties and challenges and so on? Nope, because your Lord did. And no man, no person is greater than their teacher, are they? No one is greater than their master. We will suffer things the same as Jesus suffered things, but we suffer through them, knowing that we have a God who has promised us greater things. Amen. Uh, by the way, how many of you have found uh, yourself in that place of murmuring and complaining against God for where you're at? Anyone? I've been there before. I remember when I you know went through uh, one of those situations in ministry, and you know all the stupidity of, of one guy just bringing everything to a calamity and, and I'm back in Ohio working construction tying rods on a bridge deck and I know most of you gateway folk know about this and I'm tying rods and I'm out here busting my hump three two two and a half to three ton a day I'm lifting and putting in, you know, if you know what rods are, steel bars that go in concrete that is not a cakewalk job man, that is some back breaking stuff and I remember putting those rods in, I'm tying those rods and I, you know <laughs> This is not what I'm supposed to do with my life. Grumbling against God, you know. You know, I've been faithful to you. I've tithed. I've served. (laughs) Over and over and over and over again. Day in and day out, moaning and groaning about if God would only. You know, so if you're so great, then why don't you? And stuff like that, right? Okay, I know I'm the only one that's ever done that. (laughs) And you know what? It's interesting about that. He didn't strike me dead because Jesus died on the cross, see. He preserved me through that, right? And, and somehow through that mess coming up, that dross, if you will, I'm in the fire of God and the mess is coming up out of my heart and I start to see how I really am. It's like I thought I was, you know, I'm tithing, I'm serving, I'm doing all those things. See, I did this and I did that. And if you're there, God, then why am I where I'm at and why am I going through what I'm going through? Simple. Because God knew that that junk was still in my heart and it was going to take that situation to let that dross, if you understand dross, when you refine gold and it's put into the fire, that boom, all of a sudden the junk comes to the top for everyone to see. It's like, oh, look, that junk was in that gold. I didn't see that before. But there it is now. But it took fire. It took a fiery situation for that mess to come up. Same for the children of Israel. They come out of the land of Egypt. Slaves set free. Not one feeble among them. God working signs, as we read in this passage, working signs among them. I mean, you're talking about a pillar of fire. You understand what I say? Let's say a tornado of fire swirling right there. Just just off, you know, in the distance enough where it doesn't consume them. And it's there providing heat for them by night and light. Just the fire of God. It had to roar. I mean, I can't imagine it was quiet. Right? There it is. Just all night long. And then day would break and all of a sudden a cloud would appear over them. It would come over them. Why? Because they're in the desert and it's hot. In the night, the desert feels like it's wintertime, and in the daytime, it feels like you're in hell. It's not a bad word. It's in the Bible. And here is a cloud that appears over them, right? By the way, the, the fire and the cloud are God's Shekinah glory. It's His Shekinah glory. What that means, it's His manifest presence. He's there, and they can see Him. For us... We stand in faith, believing something. You know, I, I mean, if a pillar of fire dropped in here, you all would run anyway. So would I. Right? But they saw that, man. They saw that cloud. They saw the waters just go, open up. They walk on dry ground. The Egyptians chasing them, right? The world, sin, the devil coming after them, trying to, trying to take them back captive to their slavery. Trying to draw them back from the righteousness that God's called them into. Trying to keep them from entering the promised land before they ever get there. They saw all of that. And came to this side of the promised land, having seen God do all of that. Heal their sickness, none going out feeble, their shoes didn't stink and wear out. And they didn't believe him. They saw things that we have not seen. Yet some of us sitting in this room have seen the miracles of God, have seen Him move, and yet we don't see those things happening like they should be happening today. And the reason why is because, God. thank God for hospitals. I believe they're, they're sent from God to be able to spare. It's part of His preserving that He's given us an ability to know the human body and to, to administer so that we can be healthy. Absolutely. But you want to know something? It preserves us until faith can take a hold of us and heal us. That's a fact. There's proof sitting right at the back of this room today. Janet and Paige Thompson. Y'all remember the young lady that had the aneurysm and she was in the hospital and they didn't think she was going to live? Well, she's back there right now. I remember when Angie and I walked into her uh hospital. Actually, I went up with Sean the first time. And uh I remember when Sean and I were standing there. And I gotta be honest, uh H. I had I had never seen somebody swollen up, and it was one of those things when you see and you're like, wow, and your faith gets challenged immediately. But I remember I remember the moment and I remember feeling the presence of God when I looked at her and I said the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will raise you up off this bed because that's what the word declares. And I know many from this body and I remember when we prayed corporately for her as a body and prayers kept being offered up and offered up and offered up on her behalf. You want to know something? She had to fight the good fight of faith and we needed to fight with her. And we did. She fought because she believed. We fought because we believed. And you know what? There's such a miracle at the back of this room. Because the doctors sure didn't think, did they? Jen? You had to sit there and listen to all those reports. The, the bad reports, right? It's impossible. She'll never talk again. She'll never walk again. there will never be. And you're hearing the ten spies over and over and over again. But yet there was the church and there was members from the church that were declaring, Nope, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Jen, in there proclaiming that. In Jesus' name, her daughter will live and not die. You all hearing me today? Hopefully you're hearing the Holy Ghost. That He wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to step up and to walk in faith and to believe God. That He's more than able. He is more than able to work on our behalf. Amen? Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all possessed, or excuse me, possessed, all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual fruit, food, that manna that fell from heaven, if you remember, and all drank the same spiritual drink. That was when uh, Moses, they were thirsty and he smote the rock and water poured forth from the rock. See, manna, what is it? The manifestation, it's what it is. It means to manifest. The manna itself was also God's Shekinah glory. He just manifested food right there. The rock poured forth water, and it's the same for us. See, Jesus is our bread, and He's also the living water. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, He said, isn't that right? And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock and followed them, that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. John six fifty three through fifty five says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now, for those of you who are here for the first time hearing that, uh, I've said the last two weeks that no, we're not cannibals and no, we're not vampires. It's a symbolism. That what Jesus is saying, feeding upon him who is the word and is the living water is what sustains everlasting life. And oh, by the way, you're in this world through salvation, but you're not of it. That when you're saved, you're translated out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are uh, turned from the power of Satan to the power of God. And that when we understand that, God's miracle-working power can manifest among us when we believe. When we believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. Uh, why, Why is it that we don't overcome in this world? It's because we don't eat our breakfast. Could you imagine an athlete going out? You know, if he's going to go do a, uh, um, for instance, uh, you take a triathlon or you take, how many of you guys like UFC fighting, right? UFC, you like it? How many just like uh, sports in general, football? Who, how many football fans do we have in here? Yes, pastor, I'm a football fan, so finish and get me out of here. <laughs> Could you imagine them not eating and going out to compete? Can you imagine them not eating and going out there trying to exert themselves? It's the same for us when we want to exert ourselves in spiritual things, but we we don't eat. And that's why I say that being in covenant with Christ, that relationship that causes you to spend time with him, he says, if you do this, I will do this. Christ died on the cross. If you'll believe, then you receive. If all the promises of God are yes and amen, if I believe, then they are amen to me. If I don't believe, guess what? I stand afar off knowing that God said this, but I don't see it. And, and, and it's really my step to take to fill myself with His Word to be, if you will, nourished in His Word so that I have the ability to believe. In other words, it's not myself anyway. When I spend time with Him, what happens is, is now... It's like Christ's faith becomes my faith and I the only effort I put forth was to be with him in his word and in prayer giving him the opportunity to make me like him. To press his image upon me. It's like the kids that were here last night and they're worshiping God. They're just coming and you know we're just going to hang out and worship God and as they do they kind of they're expecting God to show up and he does. And his presence gets so heavy. Vanessa was talking about at one point, you know, kind of, she's not one of those slouch setters, you know. And she said there was a point where she just kind of kept feeling like she's slouching over. Has anybody ever been in the presence of God where it's so heavy, it's like you, you start feeling like, it's like, what is that? And she said she was thinking, what, why, what is that, you know? You start to feel the heavy presence, and so she is kind of like laid down. Little did she know everybody else around her was laying down. And I talked about when the glory of God comes, men do not stand in his presence. It's that weighty presence of God that comes that all of a sudden you prostrate yourself before the Lord. You remember your message on worship, Damon? To worship is to what? To bow, to bring self low. When you get into genuine worship, what happens is you come low. But the other amazing thing about it is the glory of God. That other word doxa, right? Remember the king, the signet ring of the king? We're the wax that he desires to seal his image into. That's glory. Doxa presses upon us, and we become like him. And that's why my daughter comes home last night at 11-something after worshiping. And, you know, I'm thinking, i got to preach tomorrow. I'm tired And she's, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God, blah, 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 blah. And I enjoyed it. I'm actually weeping while she's telling me, thinking, gosh, i got to go to sleep, you know. But she can't help herself. Why? Because she has been impressed by God. And she has to share that just to spill it over. Daddy, I've been to the promised land and I'm telling you, there's it's flowing with milk and honey, there's grapes, I mean, there, grapes the size of softballs over there, you know, there's now she wasn't saying that, but you get my point is that when you're in his presence, you hear his word. The ten spies had heard God's promise. They didn't believe it. Two believed it. And they were in anguish over the fact that they would wander the wilderness with everybody else until such time as there was a generation who would rise to believe God, that they could enter His promises. Now let me give you an example as I close. That when you think about the fact that we have seen revival in this nation, We've seen revival. You read about revival that took place in Europe. You read about revival that's going on in Brazil. That's going on in China right now. That you actually see God manifesting in places around the world. And people believing his promises. And by the way, healings, miracles, the signs and wonders are the order of the day where there is faith. But where there is no faith. There are no signs and wonders. There are no miracles. And the reason why they're not, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I promise you this. He doesn't pour all that out when he's displeased. He was displeased with the children of Israel because of their unbelief and wanted to wipe them out. Moses like, God, don't do it. Everybody will think you brought them out here just to kill them. That'll be the testimony of it all. He goes, "Okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll preserve them in the wilderness. I'll feed them. I'll do all this stuff. The miracles will keep happening over here in the wilderness for them, but they won't enter the promise. Their children will enter the promise. The only miracles God did was to sustain their flesh. But they didn't possess the promise. All I know is I don't want to just be sustained in my flesh. I don't just want to live this life. I want to live for eternity. I want to see heaven manifesting on the earth, can you say amen? God wants to more than we want him to, I think, most times. John sixteen twenty five says, this is what Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you in, in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I, when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, this world and all its circumstance should not overcome the believer, ever. The believer should always overcome the world in full context. Anything that you deal with in this world, be it temptation, be it lust, be it needs, whatever it is, when Jesus say, consider the lilies of, of the valley, they neither toil nor spin. Their dependence is on God. They were created by him, and they don't, they're not looking to themselves to take care of themselves. We tend to look to ourselves. It's not that God hasn't given us the capabilities of working. But remember, it's God that gave you the capability of working. If you don't understand what I mean is, don't start looking to yourself because even your ability to do that came from God. The point is, keep your eyes fixed on Him who is the author and the finisher of your faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Anybody? Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Dwight L. Moody said, the question is, are you overcoming the world, or is the world overcoming you? Caleb and Joshua understood something about taking God at his word, feeding upon that and not upon the circumstance that they saw. And by doing that, Caleb and Joshua, even in their old age, come on some of you folks in here that, you know. Miss Bev, I know this. I was talking about those who have held on to the faith. Do you remember telling me? That one time that God had given you a dream that this church would start seeing young people come to Christ. And do you remember that? You don't remember that. And you, in the front office, the old building, we sat there, and when all the young people were coming to Christ, do you remember when all that was happening in those days? And you had shared with me, you know, I had prayed, you know, for this church, and God showed me that I would be a part of seeing young people come to Christ again in this place. You don't remember telling me that. Do you remember that dream now that I bring it to your remembrance? No, that's okay. You're allowed to have that. It's called a senior moment, and you are a senior. But she is a senior of the faith, saints. She is a woman that has believed. And I remember her telling me that. And let me say this, that where there is another who stands and proclaims what the Lord has spoken, and it has to do with faith, it fosters that belief that says, you know what? With God, all things are possible. We'll see him do great things. Now in closing, I don't don't know what you might be facing today, but I certainly know this. Some people are facing some impossible situations. They're facing those things that without God's help, it's not going to happen. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, if you'd all stand to your feet, I'm going to just ask you if you need prayer, you need a miracle in your life, this is the moment where you don't labor for food that perishes. Let me read this one to you, John. 627, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Once again, has set that, his image. The Father has set his own image on the Son, and we can look to him to work on our behalf. And so, you know, if you need prayer this morning, uh, I'm going to ask the elders just to come up here and, and line up at the front, just face out so they can come, and, and all the elders and a few other folks that I've asked to come and pray um, so that we can pray for you quickly and, and go ahead and get you out of here so you all can enjoy the football game. But let's not labor for those things which are perishing food. Let's let God give us some, some spiritual food. You know, Maybe you need a word from God this morning. I know that these folks are more than capable of hearing for, from the Lord to, to pray for you, believe on your behalf, But one thing's for sure, don't fight that battle alone. Don't fight it alone. So if that's you, I just want you to get out of your seats. Don't be worried about anybody standing to your left and right. Come get your miracle. Come get your breakthrough right now. Move to the front. Move to the front.